0: Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com.
1: And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1... You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Slater is America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thank you for being here. It's still a sad Saturday. I just, right now, looking up at CNN, and they're showing the nine victims of the uh, Charleston murders. And it's just, it's so sad. These are the best... In that community. Truly the best people in that community. Um. I want to talk about what I saw as the... I don't want to say the best way to react because I don't... Like, this is how you should react to things. Like, that's not my role (laughs) to tell you. I've been married for almost two years now and never once has... uh, Hey, Stephanie, this is how you should react to this. That's that's never gone well. I wish someone told me that. I had to learn that on my own, I suppose. So I'm not here to tell anyone how to feel, certainly you, but I can tell you that this is how I want to react to tragedy. Before I get to that, you know Martin Luther King Jr., He uh, he spoke at that church in 1962, and I want to talk about what he said in that church a little later, but he also said, somewhere, somebody must have some sense. Men must see that force begets force. Hate begets hate. Toughness begets toughness. And it's all a descending spiral, ultimately ending in destruction for all and everybody. And the last couple of days, even immediately after, and still today I see I, I saw a lot of hatred on Twitter and Facebook. And in the media and other places, a lot of people fanning the flames of a race war. A lot of people meeting the hatred with more hatred, with a different type of hatred. And as Martin Luther King Jr. said, that ends in our destruction. Not just, so let's say something hateful happens and you meet it with hate. That doesn't end them. It ends you too. It's a mutual destruction when you react like that. And it's so hard not to but it's possible. Uh, I want to read a series of tweets here. This is from the King Center. The uh, CEO of the King Center is Bernice King, who I believe is, is, a, is she the daughter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daughter of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So she speaks with authority, not only being you know, his daughter, but the fact that he was murdered so he's speaking some authority here and actually her grandmother was shot and killed when playing the organ at Atlanta's Ebenezer Baptist Church in 1974 so not only was her father murdered but her grandmother was as well in church so she's been there and when I don't know what how to react to this or what's probably I can only look at her and say oh that's that's how I want to react to this If I can read these tweets right here that she sent, she said, in this tragic, disheartening hour, we embrace Charleston and the Emanuel AME family and community. We believe that nonviolence is not just about our physical response, but includes our social media communication. We have to be conscious of how our social media response can cause unrest or be detrimental. We pray vigorously. That this person's hate does not cultivate more hate. We must defy hate with truth and love. Truth, a hateful terrorist act. Love, a response that transcends hate. Dr. King's philosophy. In Dr. King's philosophy, peace is in tandem with justice. I love that line. Peace is in tandem with justice. So all the people who, who say no justice, no peace, that is a hundred percent wrong. Peace is in tandem with justice. Like that's that does that that's clearly the right response. It's not the easy one, but it's the right one. I want to focus on this one sentence here. We have to be conscious of how our social media response can cause unrest or be detrimental. This is social media right here, right? Radio, the original social media, right? Here we are, media, right? And we're talking to each other, right? so, it's, so it's social. Talking with all across the country. You can't get more, much more social than this. So this is social media. So we have to be careful what we, what we say, how we react to this and and everyone does so in response to Bernice King's uh, suggestion here uh, the, the response is astounding people are saying are you serious so just be a good darky in the corner someone says if your focus is to keep black people docile while we're being massacred you're working on the side of white supremacy telling that to MLK Jr.'s daughter what and nearly all the responses to that sentiment were, were along that Approach. And it's so important to realize that no, the CEO of the King Center, Bernice King, she's not saying, forget this happened. She's not saying, oh, well, right? She's not saying, don't be against this or don't be full of sorrow and don't mourn and don't seek to change things moving forward. She's saying, be conscious of how your actions. And words will inspire others around you from this point forward. Be conscious of your comments and how they add or distract from the national dialogue here. Make sure what you're saying is productive, even amongst terrible suffering and unthinkable justice. Try and lift people up instead of tearing other people down, because otherwise if you don't, then the person's hate is cultivating more hate in your heart. and what good is that for you? They're winning then. they're winning. This guy wanted to create a civil war. Don't let him. This is what I hope comes out of this event for our country. This wasn't done in a bar. The shooting wasn't in a club. It wasn't on a street corner. It wasn't in a convenience store. It wasn't even in a school. It was done in a church. You know, I think back in 1963 when those four young girls were killed in the 16th Street church bombing in Birmingham, and MLK gave the eulogy, and he said, even though those four girls, even though they entered the stage of history just a few short years ago, he said, they each have something to tell us. And he went through a list of people who need to listen to what those girls are telling. Does that make sense? These girls, they're young. They were killed. But they still have something to tell us. They have something to tell these people. These girls have something to tell these people. These girls have something to tell these other people. And then he says, these girls have something to say to every minister of the gospel who has remained silent behind the safe security of stained glass windows. How about that? These girls have something to say to the church leaders of the country, ministers of the gospel and everyone who listens to it on Sunday and lives it every other day of the week needs to get out of the sanctuary, get away from those stained glass windows, get outside of them and spread the truth throughout our country. And that's why I loved watching the Periscope. Did you watch the live footage of Glenn in Charleston? I'm so glad he went. And I'm watching the prayers happen outside the church. <laughs> right? that, now, granted, it's still on church grounds or whatever. And there's different parts around town, but it's outside of the stained glass window sanctuary. Right. The, the, what goes on in the church needs to happen outside of the church. And it's got to spread throughout the country. Now, I'm not sure if you can ever stop a mentally ill gunman. I don't think you can but there's a lot of other brokenness that needs to be healed in our country. And further hatred just continues to smash what's broken into a million more pieces. And if you do that, we're spiraling down. We can turn it around, but we can't wait much longer. And I love what Glenn said the other day too. He said, oh man, this shooter picked the wrong city. Absolutely picked the wrong city. The holy city? Are you kidding me? I hope this inspires church leaders and churchgoers to get outside of the church in ways that haven't been done in a long time. 3393 eight nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I'll leave you with uh, one last quote here from M. L. K. When he was giving the eulogy of those four girls, he said, "No, he said, no greater tribute can be t- can be paid to you as parents than where your children died." And what they were doing when they died. They did not die in the dives and dens of Birmingham. Nor did they die discussing and listening to filthy jokes. They died between the sacred walls of the church of God. And they were discussing the eternal meaning of love. Let's do the same. one 900 3393 What do you hope comes out of this? Because I think good things can come. one 900 3393 I pray good things come. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word.
2: This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: God, we welcome and invite you into this place, your house. We thank you for the spirit that dwells here, the spirit of Denmark Vesey, the spirit of R.H. Kane, the spirit of Dr. King, the spirit of many of the unsung heroes of our people. But we also thank you, God, for all persons who come seeking to expand their horizons and seeking to learn more about what our country is made of and what makes us who we are as a people and as a country.
2: Mike Slater.
0: (laughs) That, of course, was uh, Pastor Pigney from the church in Charleston. One of the victims. He was the state senator. Uh, That was in 2013. I I love that prayer. He's praying for those who are seeking to expand their horizons. Praying for those who are seeking to expand their horizons and those who seek to know what we're made of. How good is that? And also uh, praying for those who seek to know what makes us who we are as a country. Are those, are those things you? That's so good. Are you seeking to expand your horizons growing? Are you, are you always trying to grow, be a better person? Um, are you always seeking to know what you're made of? And are you seeking to know what makes us who we are as a country? It's fantastic. And I guess this is my question in light of all this. Are are we as a people... Well, let me say it like this. this. This killer... I don't like to use mass shooters' names, right? But you know how I mean. Is this murder... Is this who we are? Like, is that who we are? That guy... Is that who makes up our country? Right, we're just a bunch of of this guy. That can't be. There's no way. There's no way that's true. We're a country made up of good people. And when there's a tragedy like this, it's a time for each of us to decide which side of us we want to shine. You know, I've seen a lot of video. I'm sure you have too of of people in Charleston, even the night of the murder, the morning after, and and still today. And Sunday, they're going to have a service tomorrow in the church. It really looks like the best of people are shining in Charleston. How good is that to see? And I wonder when times get tough in America, and they will, which parts of us will emerge? Which part of us will emerge? Things are going to get really tough in America. (laughs) And... And we need to prepare. And, and and I don't necessarily mean store food and save money, although, yes. Uh, I just mean emotionally prepare. We need to emotionally prepare for things getting really, really tough. Like, w- when you lose everything you own, what type of person will you be? And I guarantee you there's people listening right now who have lost everything they own. What type of person will you be in light of that? This is a very serious question. When our country defaults like Greece and our money is worthless, what did I just read? Um, I didn't read the whole thing. I apologize for the headline, actually, which is usually trouble. But here, Drudge Report. Uh, who said this? Britain's most senior fund managers. It's time to hold physical cash. It's time to hide money under the mattress. Okay? So all the money we own is going to be worthless. No matter if there's a woman on the $10 bill or, or a man. It doesn't matter. All of it's going to be worthless. So when it's all worthless and you have none, who will you be? I just went to my uh, my bank's app this morning just to see just to see what was going on. I got a paycheck the other day, right? See what my bank account is. And it was a good number. very happy with the number. But one day I'm going to look at that. It's going to be zero. And I'll never forget. There's a, I told this story a hundred times. Uh, two years ago? Three years ago? Uh, four years ago? Something like that. Time flies. Uh, I owed a ton of money to the IRS and I remember calling my dad was really upset about it. And he said, you haven't even lost all your money yet as if that's a thing that's part of life. You haven't even lost all your money yet. So when I do, what type of person am I going to be? And when everyone loses all of their money, what type of people are we going to be? When you go to the store and there's no food there, or you have to wait six hours to get a bowl of rice. In the ration line, who will you be? And when people get desperate, people get violent. And in light of that, who will you be? We have to emotionally prepare for that now. We have to answer that question now. If you answer it then, it's way too late. If you, if you go to your bank account and there's no more money left, and you're like, well, now I get to decide what type of person to be. Nope, too late. And this is why I, I, uh, I think The Walking Dead's a great show. If you've never seen it it's awesome. I love it because they're in an apocalypse and people are making choices on who they're going to be. And there's a scene early in the show and the main uh, good guy's name's Rick. He's talking to a bad guy and the bad guy saying, we got to kill everyone we see. And Rick says, that's not who we are. That was the first season. A couple seasons later, I think even the last, the most recent season, Rick was just about to get killed and he got away and he had a chance to enact revenge on the person who almost killed him. And he was just about to take the shot. And one of the other good guys pulls him back and says, that's not who we are. Even now, like things got way worse than when it, for the show first started. Things are way worse. Still not who we are. When people react to things in a destructive way, to go back to the King Center, the last segment, when people react to things in a destructive way, as opposed to building people up, I think it's important to call everyone to a higher purpose. And listen, I fall for it. Goodness gracious, I'm not perfect at all. But if I'm not doing something that will encourage us all to solve problems and build other people up, what, what's the point? What are we, what, what good are your words then? This killer doesn't define us. And maybe who we are is constantly changing, sure. But I hope we are always, as the pastor said, seeking to expand our horizons and seeking to know what we're made of. Let's play uh, clip two here real quick.
3: We don't see ourselves, or many of us don't see ourselves as just a place where we come and worship. But as, as a beacon and as a, a, a bearer of the culture uh, and, a, and a bearer of what makes us a people. But I like to say that uh, this is not necessarily unique to us. It's really what America is all about. Could we not argue that America is about freedom, whether we live it out or not? But it really is about freedom, equality, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's what church is all about freedom to worship and freedom from sin, freedom to be full what God intends us to be and to have a quality in the sight of God. And, and sometimes you got to make noise to do that. Sometimes you maybe have to die like Denmark Vesey to do that. Sometimes you have to march, and struggle and be unpopular to do that.
0: What good is going to come out of this? In this storm, after the storm, what part of us is going to be uncovered?
1: This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On
2: the Blaze Radio Network.
1: 888 900 3393. Mike
0: Slater is on. Remember Denmark Vesey of Charleston, who fell as a glorious martyr for the cause of the slave. It's Frederick Douglass, one of my favorite Americans. You may have heard that name in last uh, week here. Denmark Vesey. We just played the clip from the pastor of the church, who's no longer with us, who, who mentioned, He even, he said something like, you know, fighting for the cause of freedom, fighting for the cause of the church. You may even have to die, like Denmark Vesey of Charleston, obviously. A haunting sentence he said two years ago. But who's Denmark Vesey? I want to tell his story for a couple minutes here. Denmark Vesey went to that church in Charleston. He was born in 1767. He was a slave, but I don't know how, but won the lottery... And paid for his freedom. I don't know how he won the lottery. I didn't know there was lottery back then. But he won the lottery, paid for his freedom, and started going to Emanuel AME Church. His wife and child, however, remained slaves. Because of that, he began to conspire an insurrection to free the slaves across Charleston, and ultimately across the South. And his inspiration was Exodus. When the Jews escaped Egypt. And he wanted the same thing for black men out of slavery. It's actually the exact same thing our founding fathers. They viewed themselves, they viewed this country, as the second great Exodus. That's why Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, their original proposal for the Seal of America was Exodus. Right? Moses, Pharaoh, Red Sea, whole thing. So he wanted this insurrection. Someone discovered the plot and exposed him. And in the end, 67 people were charged with conspiracy and 35 were hanged. And he was one of them. And then after it, the church was burned to the ground. Now, to add an element of intrigue to this story as if it's needed, the insurrection in question was supposed to begin on June 17th. 1822, that's 193 years to the day of the shooting on, when was it, Tuesday? Wednesday, sorry. 193 years to the day. So Vesey became a martyr for the cause, including that mention from the great Frederick Douglass speech. Uh, I was just reading from it's uh, men, of, men of Color to Arms. Actually, let me read a little bit of this because it's pretty good. Uh, so this was, this was a speech of Frederick Douglass, himself a former slave. Again, one of my favorite Americans. This was a speech he gave to encourage black people to fight in the Civil War. And this is what he said. He said, There's an, it's same thing today, it's so true. That's why, a quick back it up. I consider a work of art to be anything that is beautiful for all people for all time. right? If something is true for all people for all time, that's what I consider to be a work of art. So for instance, Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail that is relevant and beautiful and perfect for all people, not just black people in the South, for all people and for all time, not just the year he wrote it. You look like um, the Sistine Chapel, right? That's beautiful for all people, not just Italians, for all time, not just the year he painted it. That's what I think a work of art is. This speech right here is, is, is also a work of art because it's relevant to all people, to all time. He says, there's no time to delay. Again, he's speaking to fellow black people. There's no time to delay. The tide is, uh, is at its flood and leads on to fortune. From east to west, from north to south, the sky is written all over, now or never. Liberty won by white men would lose half its luster. Whoever's to be free themselves must strike the blow. Better even die free than to live slaves. This is the sentiment of every brave colored man amongst us. Now, there are weak and cowardly men in all nations. We have them amongst us. And they're going to tell you this is the white man's war. Right, they're going to tell you not to, not to fight in this war. That you'll be no better off after than before it. And that you, if you go into the army, then they're going to sacrifice you on the first opportunity. Believe them not. Cowards they are themselves. They say those things because they do not wish to have their cowardice shamed by your brave example. It's awesome. He says the iron gate of our prison stands half open. One gallant rush from the north will fling it wide open. While four million of our brothers and sisters shall shall march out into liberty. The chance is now given you to end in a day the bondage of centuries. Remember Denmark Vesey of Charleston who fell as a glorious martyr for the cause of the slave. The case is before you. This is our golden opportunity. Let us accept it. I share that because one of this church's members died in the cause for freedom. His name was then used to inspire many others to fight for freedom. How many years later? 40 years later, right? Denmark Vesey dies for freedom. 40 years later, his name is used to inspire others to fight for freedom. Nine people died just, three, four days ago in that church. I hope that their lives can be used to inspire others for an equally righteous cause as Denmark Vessies. And I hope that their names will resonate for a long time coming for good see you know mean, like being used as a rallying cry for good there's been a lot of names thrown around lately a lot of t-shirts with faces and names thrown around on right a lot a lot of names that have inspired rioting that have inspired looting that have inspired destruction that have inspired chaos that have inspired anarchy that have inspired nothing good nothing wholesome nothing righteous. We need these names, the nine people who are killed, the best of Charleston, truly. We need those names to continue on and be used to motivate people for good. We're not going to talk about Charleston all day. I actually want to talk about something different in the next segment. But coming up a little later, I do want to play some clips of uh, one of the victim's uh, kids. She has, uh, Chandra is her name, she has three kids. I think her oldest son is uh, 19 or something like that. And he gave a speech, in, or not a speech, he uh, spoke to reporters in, uh, with, with his entire baseball team behind him. And he did such an incredible job. It's a fantastic young man who talked about forgiveness and talked about love and talked about how if the whole world and the whole country loves like his mom would, then we can overcome every, all, all the hatred around it. It's an incredible, beautiful speech. And that's what I'm talking about. Using the names, using the the lessons, using the legacies of those nine people for good long into the future. I hope that's another thing that comes out of this. And Charleston, the, the word Charleston. I don't know what it meant to me on Monday of this week. Beautiful old southern city, I guess. But now when I hear Charleston, I, 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 I feel something different, right? I, I really, it seems like based on what we've been looking, it seems like a beautiful place, a beautiful place full of beautiful people, hot as Hades, but a, but a beautiful place with a lot of beautiful people. And if, if every other city in the country, unique in its own way, can take what's good in Charleston and bring it to their city I think will be a much better country this is our golden opportunity let us accept it one 933 93 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network spread
2: the word Mike Slater we
1: will continue in a moment on The Blaze Radio Network this is Mike Slater
0: we're gonna talk more about this later I just want to make sure uh, you're aware of, of how bad things are getting in our schools on my local show we talked to a third grade first grade first gra- first grade teacher sorry I think a first grade teacher um, at a local elementary school and uh, talking about the behavioral problems in the school and how the administration refuses to do anything about it here's just a little taste we're gonna play much more later
4: One student was pounding on the glass windows of my classroom for 45 minutes straight.
0: What were you doing? What were you trying to do? Were you just... Inside
4: the classroom, trying to teach. Okay. We had to um, close the blinds, close the windows, lock the door. um, So we're trapped in the classroom. And so for 45 minutes, um, this pounding goes on in the window. I'm trying to calm my class down because they're scared. They're first graders, you know? seven-year-olds. Um, actually, some of my students were, like, curled up in fetal positions because they don't know what, what's going on outside. They just hear screaming and pounding. Not the best conditions for trying to teach, no. I'll just tell you. And so after this 45-minute period stopped because for some reason what's happening a lot is that the people who are trying to deal with these children who are in crisis mode just let them do whatever they're doing for extended periods of time. So sometimes, you know, it could be throwing everybody's backpack or, you know, the plants that we're growing, throwing them around or whatever it is, destroying things around the school. And they just stand around and watch.
0: Amazing. So there's much more we'll play later, but the, the point is, and, and be careful of this in your school district, it's called restorative justice. Uh, you may hear board members talk about becoming a, a restorative district. That's what that is. It's, it's when you don't discipline kids, even if they're terrorizing your classroom and terrorizing the other students. Unbelievable. All right. We'll do more with that later. Um, I want to talk about Planned Parenthood real quick. This is a uh, supermodel. Uh, I think she pronounces her name because I can't. Uh, play uh, clip three right here. Hey, ladies.
5: I'm Emily Ratajkowski and wanted to have a quick chat about something important. Like many young women who are sexually active, I'm guessing you might not be ready to get pregnant. Am I right? Whether you're finishing school, have big career aspirations, or just don't feel ready to be a parent, birth control can be the answer. Which is why I'm grateful that organizations like Planned Parenthood make birth control available to all women, no matter what.
0: So she's a model. She's the girl in the Blurred Lines video. Uh, She's also in the movie Gone Girl. Um, She's the person that Ben Affleck cheated with. So she's influential enough. She's got 2.6 million followers on her Instagram account, right? So 2.6 million people saw that. Uh, that's where those videos were posted right there. Uh, and I just have to say this because it's the truth and and, and we talk truth. Um, so let me say this and then we'll move on. If you don't want to get pregnant, don't have sex. Ugh. But uh, just throwing that one out there. But I say that because I enjoy spitting in the wind. Apparently, we're not supposed to talk about that solution to the problem. Uh, the reason I share this video here is because there's a law proposed by the governor of Colorado that would make birth control over-the-counter for everyone. For absolutely everyone. All right, So the pill would be like buying Advil. And really, it'd be like buying condoms, which are already over-the-counter. But anyway, this is about the pill, right? Over-the-counter, available to all women... No matter what, as Emily Rodjakowski said, right? As she said at the end, she's like, Well, Planned Parenthood's so great because uh, they provide birth control to everyone no matter what. Yep, so it over the counter. But Planned Parenthood says no. They don't support that bill, they don't support that effort. This bill in Colorado would accomplish exactly. What Planned Parenthood says they want, right? Birth control available to all women. It's exactly, it would be oh, just, just like, is okay, is Advil available to all women? Is Tylenol available to all women? Is NyQuil, available? you know, right? So, yes, all those things are. So would the pill. Make it over the counter. There's no medical reason not to. But nope, they won't. They won't support the bill, and they're fighting it. That is the ultimate proof that this is not about birth control, because if it was, then this is the solution. Make it over the counter. Everyone can get it. Just go to your local CVS, Walgreens, wherever. It's not about birth control. It's about power. And it's about bringing girls, funneling women, young girls into Planned Parenthood so that ultimately they can advocate for abortion. Because that's what Planned Parenthood really is. It's not a place to get the pill. Walgreens is a place to get birth control right Walmart is a place to get birth control Planned Parenthood is a place to get abortions and they're not even going to give an inch so congratulations to Colorado fight in support of that bill but congratulations to the conservatives there who are uh, revealing Planned Parenthood who they truly are and you gotta it's, it's an uphill battle but it's the most important battle there is 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. I want to talk about MLK's commitment card, and we'll go into a little more detail about discipline in schools and uh, what to do about it, what it means if we don't get that under control. Next.
1: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, you're listening to mike slater part of the next generation of talk radio only on the blaze radio network
5: he's been hearing emotional testimony from the family but can we look over here right now i mean it's kind of heartbreaking uh they're singing and a whole flood of people showed up at the same time This arraignment was taking place, so you're hearing uh, from the family, and then this whole group of people showed up, and they're singing a gospel song, uh, and you heard from the family members of uh, those who were lost, uh, and I apologize. But you can see the outpouring uh, of support for this community. It goes all the way down the street uh, of people that showed up at the exact same time that this arraignment was going on. And we heard from the family members of Ethel Lance, from Myra Thompson, Daniel Simmons, Ty Sanders. Uh, So that uh,
0: is MSNBC. I'm sorry. So So that's from MSNBC. Uh, That was when Glenn, back, was... Praying and then singing uh, MSNBC at the cameras rolling right across the other, on the other side of the street. And I forget the, the guy's name there, the anchor's name there, but that may be the first time he's ever felt that, right? That may be the first time he's ever heard and seen that type of love. And what a perfect example of how love lifts people up in profound ways. Brought this man to tears. <laughs> on television just like that brought him to tears. you know n- people watching the riots in Ferguson weren't brought to tears, maybe they were just because they saw destruction, but it's not the same thing right no-, no one in Baltimore was brought to tears. No one was moved in profound ways like that that singing and praying and loving uh can do it's, it's uh, the <laughs> and that's just such a perfect example of that. We'll talk more about uh, Charleston a little later. I want to uh, dive a little deeper into this. Uh, Something we've been talking about the last few weeks, actually, and that is discipline in our schools or lack thereof, lack of discipline in our schools. And we've been telling stories from all across the country of this new approach called restorative justice. And you may hear your school board members talk about being a restorative district. And basically they just don't discipline because there used to be a disproportionate amount of minorities who were disciplined and that's racist and unfair and a microaggression and all the rest. So now we're just not going to discipline anyone. And the kids know that and it's a free for all. We told stories of a school um, where kids come for the free breakfast and the free lunch and the free Wi-Fi, but they never go to class and the schools don't care. Because they get money from the state when they show up and the teachers can't do anything about it. So they lock their doors because otherwise kids come roaming or running through the door, busting through the door and start picking fights with the kids and with the teachers. They have to lock the door and give their students uh, a secret knock if they want to be let in. That's crazy. And this one school district calls them roamers. And I'll never forget, we had a teacher call in a couple weeks ago uh, on this show who is from Ohio. And she says, yeah, we have those kids, too. We call them frequent flyers. I mean, this is a broken, broken system. Now, here in San Diego Unified, I was uh, watching the school board meeting last week, and a teacher got up, and you have 60 seconds during the public comment period, 60 seconds to grace the council with your presence. The esteemed school board, you have 60 seconds, and you should be grateful that they are giving you 60 seconds. Even if you're a teacher who's getting up in front of the board talking about the out-of-control discipline problems in her school to the point where she feels unsafe to go to school. And parents don't want to send their kids to that school anymore because it's so dangerous. And at 60 seconds, she was cut off. And Marnie Foster is the school board member. uh, She's the one who believes in this restorative approach the most. She goes, thank you very much. Thank you. When her time was up, she didn't get it 61 seconds to tell her story. She got 60 seconds. And as soon as I heard that, I said, we got to reach out to this teacher so we can hear her full story. Here's just a taste of what's going on in her classroom. She's a first grade teacher at a elementary school here in San Diego. One
4: student was pounding on the glass windows of my classroom for 45 minutes What were you doing? What were
0: you trying to do? Were you just... Inside
4: the classroom, trying to teach. Okay. We had to um, close the blinds, close the windows, lock the door. um, So we are trapped in the classroom. And so for 45 minutes, um, this pounding goes on in the window. I'm trying to calm my class down because they're scared. They're first graders, (laughs) you know? Seven-year-olds. Actually, some of my students were, like, curled up in fetal positions. Because they don't know what's going on outside. They just hear screaming and pounding. Not the best conditions for trying to teach, I'll just tell you. And so after this 45-minute period stops, because for some reason, what's happening a lot is that the people who are trying to deal with these children who are in crisis mode, just let them do whatever they're doing for extended periods of time. So sometimes, you know, it could be throwing everybody's backpack or, you know, the plants that we're growing, throwing them around or whatever it is, destroying things around the school and they just stand around and watch.
0: Isn't that amazing? not amazing? So at the end of talking with this teacher who broke down crying multiple times because she has such a passion for her craft, for her art, for her job, for her calling, and she can't do it. It's not safe. It's not safe to do her job. It's not safe to go to an elementary school. At the end, I, I said, "Why don't Why don't more teachers step forward?" Here's what she said. I, I want to go back to this. Teachers being, I don't want to say scared. That's a lot, but yeah, it's it's scared. yeah. It, w- scared of what?
4: Whatever repercussions may come.
0: Whatever repercussions may come, repercussions from what? Think about that. What, their, their Teachers are scared to speak out because of repercussions that may come. Think about what they're, they're scared to speak out of an unsafe work environment. They're scared to speak out of kids terrorizing other students. They're scared to speak out of kids laying in the fetal position in the middle of the day because kids are out of control. They're scared to speak out that they can't teach kids because kids are leaving the school day with PTSD. Scared to speak out because there's going to be repercussions from that. That blows my mind. I'm so proud of this teacher is so brave to speak out. But would a shame that she has to be brave to speak out against this stuff. So we're talking to this teacher. Her name's Heather. And all I could think about was another teacher who I heard give a speech one time. Her name's Linda Wayman. And on November 1st, 2002, this was the first day of Linda being principal. Now, she graduated from the Philadelphia public schools. And then she went on to teach 20 years in the public school district. And and now she's a principal in 2002. And a few minutes after walking into her new school for the very first time, right, very first day, a fight broke out amongst the girls right in the morning before before the day even started. And teachers got it under control, and she immediately called a school-wide assembly to introduce herself. It's clip four.
6: I walked in angry, a little nervous, but I was determined to set the tone for my new students. I started listing as forcefully as I could my expectations for their behavior. And my expectations for what they would learn in school when all of a sudden a girl way in the back of the auditorium, she stood up and she said, Miss, Miss, when her eyes locked, she said, why do you keep calling this a school? This is not a school. In one outburst, Ashley had expressed what I felt and never quite able to articulate about my own experience when I attended a low-performing school in the same neighborhood many, many, many years earlier. That school was definitely not a school.
0: Think about this. I'm going to take a break. I got a lot more to uh, chat about here on this issue, but really think about this moving forward. Now the building, the government run building that you drop your kids off to the government run building that most of your tax dollars are going towards, that are failing our kids consistently, not the teachers, the system itself are failing our kids. We keep calling them schools. Why, why, why do we still call them that? That's not what they are. If you drop your kids off at a building and at the end of four years, six percent of them know algebra, 12 percent of them know how to read. What right do we have to call that a school? It's not a school. So what is it or how do we make it a school again? Talk about that. Give you that answer next. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety-three. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
2: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Listening to Mike Slater. Slater Slater, Slater Radio on uh, Twitter, S L A T E R Radio. So we can stay in touch there, not only throughout the show, but throughout the week. All right, I want to polish this off. So we're talking about a, a principal who, in uh, 2002, her first day of school, she uh, witnesses a fight. She has a school wide assembly to introduce herself to her students, talking about all the values of the school, the expectations, the standards that that we're going to hold to. And someone stands up in the back of the auditorium and says, miss, why do you keep calling this place a school? And it hit her. That student's right. This isn't a school. 10 years later, she entered her third low performing school as principal. It's is strawberry mansions high school. How about that for a name? Strawberry Mansions? It was labeled low performing and persistently dangerous. And she walked up to school for the first day and the front door was locked shut with chains on the doors. And all she could think about was that 10-year-old, excuse me, was that uh, student 10 years earlier who said, this is not a school. And she walked to the hallways that afternoon and looked inside the classrooms and she said that kids were scared. Kids were scared to even sit in rows in the classroom because they had no idea if someone was going to bust down the door and start a fight. That's not a school. There's clip 5
6: all the fighting and all the bullying this was not a school and then there were the teachers who were incredibly afraid for their own safety so they lacked low expectations for the students and themselves and they were totally unaware of their role in the destruction of the school's culture this was the most troubling of all.
0: So, she changed the culture. <laughs> if this is what we need to do across the country, we need to change the culture. Because the culture is being changed, right? If, if the culture is changed to be what it is here, where it's just total chaos and anarchy and a free-for-all, we can change it back. And this is what she did. First, she did the little things. She reset all the lockers, uh, all the locks for the lockers. They replaced every broken light bulb, eliminated the chains off the front door, little broken windows approach. Then they did the big things. They put the money towards the actual priorities of the school. And then they instituted a school-wide discipline program, which again, other school districts are moving away from. Right? No more discipline in the school. She said, oh, hold on. We're going to have some discipline in this school. She calls the program non-negotiables. She says it's a behavior system designed to promote positive behavior at all times. Non-negotiables like no hoodies. Oh, that's racist to not let me wear a hoodie. Nope, no hoodies, no cell phones, no fighting, no swear words, no drugs. She put a a, a sign up on the stairwell that says, forbidden stairwell if you touch this sign automatic suspension because that's a place where kids would hang out as opposed to just using the stairs you touch this automatic suspension the first year that the non-negotiables were in place after five years of being named a persistently dangerous school they were removed from that list the very first year I don't know why there's this movement in our country. Well, I do know why, but I don't know why people are falling for this movement in our country that says we don't need to discipline. And listen, I don't mean start beating kids. Who That's not what I'm talking about. But basic standards of discipline and expectations of excellence. Get back to that because we're throwing it out the window and our kids are behaving accordingly. She has a slogan she uses all the time. It's so what, now what? So the district met with her a couple of years back and said, uh, you know, ma'am, uh, 100% of your kids are in poverty, 39% have special needs, 6% are proficient in algebra, 10% are proficient in reading. And after the district went on this whole list about how horrible her school was, she said, so what? Now what? <laughs> like, what are we going to do about it? Because every other district, they say, ah, oh, here's how score- horrible your school is. And that's the end of the conversation. She says, well, what do you want me to do now? Let's let's solve these issues. And they figured it out that it's mostly an expectations problem. It's mostly expectations. If you don't expect kids to perform to their potential, they won't. Every morning, she does the announcements and she reads off the values of the school. She says, Our values are focus, tradition, excellence, integrity, and perseverance. Now, quick backtrack. Pacific Educational Group, who we've talked a lot about, they're the ones who go around uh, training schools about white privilege, and they're the ones who really started this whole no discipline thing because it's racist. Those words are are like these are racist words. Focus, tradition, excellence, integrity, perseverance—those are racist things you can't say in the UC system, University of California system, UC Berkeley, UC California, UC San Diego. There's a bunch of them, UC schools. You're not allowed to say that America is the land of opportunity. That's a microaggression, okay? So that's the type of stuff we're talking about here. And this principle says, no, no, these are our expectations. And then, before you think that I'm all about, you know, bringing out the whip, at the end of every announcement, she says, if nobody told you that they loved you today, you remember that I do, and I always will. Her discipline comes from love. So when Arnie Duncan says... Arnie Duncan's the Department of uh, Education secretary. He says, quote, the more we as adults give up power, the more we empower others and the better things are. And empowering teenagers to be a part of the solution, having them control the classroom environment, control the culture, be the leaders. When we do that, wonderful things happen for kids in communities that don't happen historically. That is absolutely nonsense and completely backwards. Kids need to listen to adults of course mutual respect but when kids are scared it's because they're 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 crying out for order (laughs) right they these kids most kids just want to learn they do they're begging for some discipline for their own good and every school mostly every school district across the country is embracing chaos and they're getting it Please inquire with your school board about restorative justice. That's the code word for this nonsense. And then look more into this principal here, Linda Wayman, W-A-Y-M-A-N. Discipline, expectations, all coming from a place of love. That's the ticket. That's the answer. We've done it before. We can do it again if we want to. Mike
1: Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: 188-93393. That's the numero de telefono. Slater radio is the uh Twitter handle. Uh we talked about Charleston the uh first hour, pretty much first 45 minutes of the uh program. I want to get back to a couple uh I don't want to say it's not really about Charleston, it's just motivated by Charleston. Uh, I know Glenn Beck a couple weeks back shared the Martin Luther King Jr. commitment card. From 1963. I love it. And I think we have to get back to it. Let me, let me share it real quick. And then we'll break down a couple of these points here. And, and see if, if you would like to uh, agree to, to these. The card said. And this is for anyone who wanted to join uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s nonviolent movement. Gandhi had a very similar uh, program. And the card says. I hereby pledge myself. My person and body. To the nonviolent movement. Therefore I will keep the following ten commandments. One, meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. That one's awesome. We'll get back to that one in a second. Three, walk and talk in the manner of love. For God is love. Four, pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Pray daily to be used by God in order that all men may be free. Sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. Observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Number eight, refrain from the violence of fist, tongue, and heart. Strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. And number 10, discipline yourselves to follow the spirit of the movement. I signed this pledge having seriously considered what I do and with the determination and will to persevere. I love that. I think we, we, we need to be using that card. A couple ones that I love. Uh, and then we sort of touched on this in the uh, first hour about lifting people up, about meeting the hate with love in such Beautiful ways that we've seen out of Charleston. Charleston has done such a perfect job with this. They've really set the standard for the entire country. But the idea of refraining from violence of the fist, tongue, or heart. I love this violence of the tongue. What does that mean? I love what the Bible says about it. It says, Your words. And I, and I often study this because I'm in the business of. Thinking and talking and using words. And I can use words to inspire and change hearts for the better. Or I can use words to to hate and tear down. The tongue is powerful. And the Bible says you put bits in the mouth of horses horses, to make them obey. Right, so a small piece of metal can move an entire powerful animal like a horse. Or the rudder of a ship. So you have a giant massive ship. The direction is completely controlled by a rudder. That's it. It's amazing if you think about it. Think of a giant tanker moving through the ocean. And you want to turn that ship, that tanker. The rudder moves. That's it. Just the rudder. And the entire tanker changes direction. That's the power of the tongue. A great forest fire can be started by a small spark of the tongue. So we need to watch the violence of our fists. Obviously, I think we're good in that department, right? I don't think there's a lot of people listening to the Blaze Radio who are ready to go out to fisticuff with their fellow neighbor, with people in America. So watch out for that. Check. But also violence of the tongue and violence of the heart. I love that. Also, the idea that the nonviolent movement's goal is not victory. How can that be? That's so um, counter to our culture, right? Our culture, our American culture is you want to win. We want victory, right? The Cleveland Cavaliers, they wanted to win. They wanted victory. They didn't. They failed. They lost. We can't think about it like that. Because if you do, you, you fall into the same trap of what you're trying to beat. There's so many people who are looking to replace injustice that they see with their own brand of injustice. They're looking for victory. There's people who are looking to replace hatred that they see with their own hatred. That, and you, that's a That's a victory. If they defeat hatred with their hatred, then they've achieved victory. We win. <laughs> right? If you're looking to replace tyranny with a different kind of tyranny, sure, you may win. But then what? Think of our revolution, right? The goal was not to replace the tyranny of the king with the tyranny of a different king. To replace that king with our king. It was to replace the king with liberty. Not just victory, but reconciliation. And that's why it worked. The French Revolution, was um, that was to replace one tyranny with another. And that's why it didn't work. And that's why those things, that, that will never work. Replacing one injustice with, an, with another will never work. And that's why we've we mentioned on the, on the show many times, I say, when good people do good things for the right reasons, God blesses it. But you need all three of those. And I've seen it happen m- countless times, truly countless times, on, uh, in my eight years of radio. When good people, and you need all three, when good people do good things for the wrong reasons, it doesn't work out. Right? When good people do bad things, even for the right reasons, it doesn't work out. And even if bad people do good things for the right reason, it doesn't work out. You need good people doing good things for the right reasons. Not for fame, not for recognition, not for victory, but for justice. So I ask myself this all the time. We're going to do this thing here. What's the goal? And that's why I like when Glenn, um, you know, when he went to Charleston, he wasn't looking to make a big political thing out of it. it was He just felt a calling to go. And then he told the story the other day. I guess it was yesterday. Um, he's like, I don't even know what I'm doing here. <laughs> right, I'm just praying. I'm like, well, use me. Do something. I've, 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 right? That's a good person doing a good thing for the right reason. Not... Glenn Beck saying, I got to go to Charleston because gonna, we're going to build a big stage and we're going to have a big concert and we're going to get the TV crews out there and we're going to get the newspaper and we're going to get good publicity. And then at the end, we're going to pass out some, some koozies, some blaze koozies with uh, uh, ways for people to sign up for the TV network so that we can make more money out of going to Charleston. God would not have blessed that. So let's make sure that we're not looking for victory over something. We got to strive to justice and reconciliation. Very different. And then one more. I will take a break. Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Haven't you seen that out of Charleston last couple of days? So many people serving others. I love in uh, Leviticus, uh, it says when you reap uh, the harvest of your field, don't reap to the very edges. Don't go all the way to the end. So you have your land, let's say you your five acres. Don't reap all the way to the end, all the, like all five acres. Don't leave a little bit at the end for the poor and for the um, uh, travelers and foreigners amongst you. Right. Just leave, leave some on the edges. Don't grab all that's technically yours. Leave room for other people. And I think about that in my life. I always try to reap to the edge of my life. I try to reap all the way to the edge and grab every little bit I can. Do you do that? like, I have to do this and this and this and this and this. And I got to do this for, I got to grab all this as much as I got to do as much as I can all the time, constantly moving, moving. It is exhausting and it is pointless. (laughs) It is. If I'm always focused on myself and my job and getting more and more and more, it's exhausting and it's pointless because the best parts of life are what happens just before the edge of your field. The time for other people, the things done for other people. I'll just give you a quick example. I had breakfast a couple weeks ago with, uh, with someone and he meets in the very same place, little tiny diner, downtown San Diego. He meets in the same place pretty much every morning with different people. Sometimes it'll be a business breakfast. Sometimes it will be with a friend. Sometimes it'll be with an old friend. Sometimes it'll be with someone he just met like me. But he leaves that time open every morning for other people. How awesome is that? I love that. I'm sitting through this whole breakfast. I'm meeting this guy. And I am just I'm, I'm, I admire him. I admire him because he's not reaping to the edge of his field. And he didn't want anything out of the breakfast. He just chatted. Now, he's an impressive guy in town. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. He was just giving time for other people. And that's what one of MLK's commitments was, right? Seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Leave room for others. Uh, I encourage you. And I don't know what it looks like. It looks different things for different people. But I encourage you to not harvest to the edge of your field. It will free you. I know it's so counterintuitive. (laughs) You think if I get more, 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 then you'll be free. Nope. Stop. Don't harvest to the edge. That will free you. And again, the best parts happen in that space. 1-888-900-3393. Just Google uh, Martin Luther King Jr. commitment card. You can read them, Print it out. Pass them around. Have your family sign it. It's a good thing. It's true. Right? These commitments are true. It's the truth. They're good. 1-888-933-93. Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
2: You're listening to Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike
0: Slater. Slater because that is one last argument on the last point. There's a really cool uh, art project, I guess you could call it that, done in uh, Los Angeles at the train station, Union Station. And these people set up a big black board against the wall. I don't know how long. Ten feet. Ten feet long. And it was cut in half. And the left half said, give what you can. And the right half said, take what you need. And it had all these uh, thumbtacks and $1 bills and $5 and $10 bills thumbtacked onto the board. And the people set it up and then backed away and watched what happened. And a lot of people came up and took a few dollars. And a lot of people came up and put more money on the board out of their own wallet, out of their own purse. And they did a time-lapse of the board throughout the day, and and sometimes the board only had a few dollars on it. And sometimes the board was jam-packed with money. And everyone, men, women, all races, all backgrounds, gave, and everybody, men, women, all races, all backgrounds, took. Didn't matter. And here's what they noticed the most, the, the people who did this. Those who gave, right? Whether they're kids, uh, and there were sometimes when like a mom would open up her wallet and give her kids each a dollar and the kids would go up or someone would walk by, whatever, and, and put some money up on the board. Whoever gave, they would walk away from the board full of smiles, ear to ear. It felt good to give. And those who took, because there was always a crowd around the board, right? And those who took, took. Humbly, right? They took humbly. No one took all the money, right? No one grabbed up, uh, ran up and just grabbed every dollar that they could get. People who took money, they took $4 or whatever, right? They took enough for their ticket. They took enough for a bite to eat. And they didn't, I don't want anyone to feel ashamed by that. No, no. And no one was like, Oh geez, I'm so, embarrassed. they're just like, ah, thank you. Thank you. So much. Like, it was a humble, they're very humble when, when they walked away with this free money. So what it tells me is that a couple of things. First, sometimes you have good days. Sometimes you have bad days, right? Sometimes you're in a prosperous season of life. Sometimes you're in a season where you're struggling, Sometimes you have a dollar to spare, and sometimes you really need a dollar. And this board took snapshots of people at whatever moment they were in, right? And and this board, it it said, this person is in a place to give. At this moment in time, this very second, this person's in a place to give. And at this moment in time, this person is in need of receiving. And at different times in life, we each fill those roles. Sometimes we're in need of receiving, and sometimes we're in need of giving. And both are okay. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. And I think this applies to Charleston as well. I do. This killer, this murderer took lives. He stole memories. He is a thief and a murderer and a monster. And how has Charleston responded You've seen it? How has Charleston responded? Oh, riots in the street, looting throughout... No. By giving to each other. Constant, constant giving. Some money, sure. But also giving time and giving prayer. And that is what makes a life. And that's what makes a community... And that is what makes a country. Charleston is the new standard. I live in San Diego. Wherever you live, let's make sure that our city meets
2: that standard. And maybe tries to exceed it. You're listening to Mike Slater.
1: Part of the next generation of talk radio. On
2: the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Sonic considers America's the greatest country in the world. I just put something on our Facebook page. You can just search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook, or I guess it, uh, it's on Twitter too, Slater Radio on Twitter. Uh, a clip from MSNBC, we watch it so you don't have to. Talking about what this guy, his argument on What would it, what would have happened if there was someone else in that church with a gun on them. A concealed carry. One of the good guys with a gun. What would have happened as opposed to what did? And if you want to know what it's like to live in an altered universe, you can just watch this video and uh, you can experience it for a moment. Actually, there's a poll that came out just a couple days ago. And we don't talk a lot about polls on this show. um, But this one may be worth throwing out there. Take it for what you'd like. People were asked if they would feel safer... In a neighborhood where their neighbors have guns, okay. So, the man, someone calls you up. Hey, would you feel safer if you if you knew that? and Not that you know who has a gun, but just knowing that someone else in the neighborhood has a gun, would you feel safer? What percentage of Americans do you think said yes? I would feel safer. Now keep remember, keep in mind, keep in mind all the stories from newspapers and uh, MSNBC and all the rest saying how anti-gun everyone is. 68%. 68% of Americans said they'd feel safer knowing that someone else had a gun in the neighborhood. 22% said no. They wouldn't feel safer. And then you have your classic what? Uh, 10% who, I don't know don't know what day it is. Who knows? But a majority of Americans want a law-abiding person in their neighborhood to have a gun. Now, I'm not sure what I'm not sure what benefit your neighbor having a gun does for you exactly. Uh, so go get yourself a gun, and more important than that, learn how to use it. Take a gun class at your local gun range. But. The takeaway here is that people aren't scared of law-abiding gun owners as people who write newspaper articles are scared of law-abiding gun owners. (laughs) You know what I mean? So the people, journalists are terrified of law-abiding people with guns. Terrified of them. So they write a bunch of articles about it and people read those articles and then therefore assume that everyone is terrified. But it's not true. Most Americans are not concerned about that and in fact would like it if their neighbors had guns so do that to what you would like uh, I want to change gears here real quick I do want to I got a couple more things to say about Charleston we'll do that a little later uh, in, in the show here although we're running out of time uh, Los Angeles Unified our school district not our school district I'm in San Diego school district uh, just to our north here Los Angeles just suspended a teacher now his lawyer says you must reinstate him immediately or else we are going to sue you for all you are worth. Now, you know, the school district is, if you sue the school district, it's like suing taxpayers. But still, this teacher would deserve it for getting suspended for this. What did this teacher do? Hmm. And you can, uh, you can send an answer on uh, Twitter, Slater Radio. What did this teacher do that got him suspended? What could it be? Slater Radio on Twitter. What did this teacher do that got him suspended? Immediately suspended. Slater Radio on Twitter. let, Let me tell you first a little bit about him. He is a nationally recognized teacher. Oh, let me say this. He is a fifth grade teacher. That may be important to the question. He's a fifth grade teacher. He's a nationally recognized teacher. He's won several nationwide awards. He's written a couple books on how to teach, especially low-income students. So he's not just a teacher. He's one of the best teachers in the entire Los Angeles Unified School District. LA Times wrote an article about this, and uh, all the comments are from former students and parents who say he's the best teacher they've ever had. <laughs> right? Just, like, and you know what I'm talking about. The, these types of teachers, right? The ones where it's just their calling and you know it. That's who this guy is. Everyone loves this teacher. Why did he get suspended? He's in teacher jail right now. You know, teacher jail, it's, uh, they, just, they, go, they show, show up to school and they don't do anything all day. They just sit in a room and get paid. But a major problem with the teacher jail, other than we're still paying them and they're not doing anything, is that a lot of times teachers aren't even told what the charges are against them. They're just told you have to go sit here. So, so what, what happened to this teacher? He was teaching again, his fifth grade class and another teacher found out what he was teaching them. This other teacher reported him and got the guy suspended. What was he doing? He was reading the kids a passage from Huckleberry Finn. Yes, that's right. Quoting Mark Twain will get you suspended from the Los Angeles school district. Quoting Mark Twain. Now, you're probably thinking, uh, did he abuse a child? Because L.A. Unified has a problem with uh, child abuse, including the most disgusting story of all. Oh, uh, what's the guy's name? I forget. But hmm, I don't even tell you what he did with it. Uh, all right, I'll be as less, least graphic as possible. He, d- decades. I think decades of doing uh, duct tape over kids' mouths and putting uh, uh, like spiders on their faces and taking pictures of it. Uh, blindfolding kids. And giving them cookies with his uh, bodily fluids on top of them and taking pictures of that. Been doing that for, uh, like a, I think, over a decade. Couldn't even fire him. They paid him to retire early. How about them apples? Okay. So LA Unified has has in the past had trouble suspend pretty slow to, to, to suspend teachers is what I'm getting at. Pretty slow to suspend them. But in this case, whew, man, you read a little bit of Huckleberry Finn and you are a goner. Here is the, um, well, this isn't the whole passage he read, but this is the controversial part of, of Huckleberry Finn. The Duke and the King, so this is the teacher, fifth grade teacher reading this to his fifth grade students. The Duke and the King worked hard all day. Setting up a stage and curtain and row of candles for footlights. And at last, when he'd build up everyone's expectations high enough, he rolled up the curtain. And the next minute, the king came prancing out on all fours, naked. He was painted in rings and stripes all over in all sorts of colors and looked as splendid as a rainbow. That's it. That's the scene. (laughs) And there's more, I mean, there's more to the scene, obviously, of course, but that's the controversial part. And that paragraph, it ends with uh, <laughs> it ends with it, it would make a cow laugh to see the shines that old idiot cut. In other words, it was ridiculous this old idiot up on stage naked, dancing around on the, right? So Mark Twain making fun of this character's actions. Now I don't know what the larger point that this teacher was trying to make but Should we really be suspending a teacher for introducing his fifth graders to one of the greatest American authors in our history? And a fellow teacher reported him. I mean, that is so, that is so politically correct to make your head explode. Like, how can that be a problem? Now, keep in mind, we should note, this is just a couple days ago. There was a teacher in North Carolina who resigned. Because he read his third graders a book called King and King, which is a fairy tale about a prince finding his prince charming. Yes, you heard that right. A prince finding his prince charming. So it's a gay fairy tale. Parents protested. Teachers came to his defense. The district came to his defense. But he resigned because of all the parents' protests. So, of course, I mean, these are two different districts and two different instances. Yes, but... Gay themed fairy tale, teachers love it, district supports it, it's all good. You read Mark Twain, you read Huckleberry Finn, line him up against the wall. Amazing the direction we're headed in. 1-80-188-9-3393. Mike Slater show. The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
2: Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Slater on the blaze radio network.
0: All right. Person of the week. Person of the week. I got two people who are in the running and you can decide who is person of the week. I'll tell you about Chris next. Um, and I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sorry to I'm distract you cause I'm thinking, well, maybe I would give my vote to him, but I, I, I don't get to vote. Chris is the son of one of the women who were killed in the, the Charleston uh, church. And he's handling this tragedy with unbelievable grace and forgiveness. That's the key word. Really impressive young man. And I guess his story ties back into what we talked about at, uh, at noon when the show begins. Or noon. Noon, East, noon Pacific. 3 Eastern. Who are we? <laughs> right? Who are we? Are we supposed to believe that we are this murderer? Like that's who we are. Or are we Charleston and and all the people who have responded so beautifully to this? Put race aside. We looked at character and this man, Chris, has it. His mom raised him with it. And it's a beautiful thing to see it in action. And I guess the big question is, when something like this happens in your city, Will you and your city react as wonderfully as the people of Charleston are reacting? I live in San Diego. I think the answer is yes, I do. But we have to keep always preparing our hearts and minds for that. Because it will happen. Something like this will happen. Wait, not this, but some, you know what I mean? Something tragic will happen like that. So I don't know. Chris, Chris, we'll talk about Chris next. Sorry, I got a little off topic. Talk about Chris next. But a lot of those characteristics that Chris has are also in this first option that I'm going to talk about here. Marlena Marlena? Marlena. Marlena Van Hoos. Now you saw Marlena the other day, perhaps. You heard her. You may not remember the name. You may not remember, like, well, I didn't Marlena, I didn't see Marlena. Marlena was born. 19 years ago. Mom and dad's first baby. They brought Marlena home. Everything was wonderful. A couple of days went by, her parents realized that she wasn't responding to light. Brought her back to the doctors. Marlena never developed the nerves in her eyes. She was blind. They thought, okay. We can overcome this. We can work through this. A few months later, their daughter wasn't responding to touch. They brought Marlena back to the hospital, back to the doctors. And they learned that their daughter has cerebral palsy. And doctors told her that she probably wouldn't make it past her first birthday. The first hour of the show, if I can back up again real quick. The question was, who are we going to be? When times get tough in America, and they will, who are you going to be? Times have probably gotten tough in your you may if I make a may make a backup from the backup. When my dad passed away coming up on two years ago, fourth of July, would be his second anniversary. Um, I remember leaving the hospital or going to get take a break out of the hospital. It's like day two. He had a stroke, so he was in, you know, coma I don't know if the coma was the right word or who knows but he was out of it for like three days so the second or third day went out to get some lunch outside the hospital and I remember walking outside and everyone was walking around and everyone was going to work and going to school and and the day was happening normally and I remember thinking hello everyone don't you know my dad is dying what are you doing why are you going to work why? I was like, I was like, well, surely the pizza place won't even be open on a Wednesday afternoon. Do you know? It was, it was like, wow, like, and it was that, and a couple other things that weekend that really hit me. I'm like, everyone's going through something. Always, everyone's going through something. Always, we've just become very good at faking it. Everyone's going through something always. So you have to decide now before that something comes again or whatever, who are you going to be when it happens? And we have to ask ourselves that, that same question for our country. When, when our country, when our money's not worth anything anymore, when people get desperate, there's no more food and people become violent. How are we, how are you going to behave? How are you, who are you going to be? And I think of this with Marlena's family as well. Like they got this news, your has cerebral palsy. She's probably not going to make it for another year. Who do you become at that point? I don't know if I could be like her parents here who said, all right, we're going to get through this. And she made it past her first year. And not only that, but that she, she grew up and she joined the cheerleading team and she could do the cheers based off of the sound of the squeaking of her to- teammates' uh, shoes on the basketball floor. And it wasn't until a few years of cheerleading that her fellow cheerleaders realized that she has another gift that she could give to the team and give to the entire experience. Now, her family, they're huge Kentucky Wildcat fans. And they started going to every basketball game. And then it was the Wildcats who realized this gift that Marlena has. And it was just the other day that the nation discovered Marlena for the first time. When she joined the likes of Usher, Metallica, Rascal Flats, and Carlos Santana. All artists who sang the national anthem before a game of the NBA playoffs. And Marlena sang before game six, and she was led to center court by her mother, who didn't think she'd see her daughter live past her first birthday. This is Marlena with probably my favorite version of the national anthem.
3: At this time, we ask those who are able to please rise and remove your hats as we honor the United States of America and her servicemen and women. Here to perform our national anthem this evening Please welcome Marlena Van Hoos
7: Oh say can you see By the dawn's Early light What so proud Right.
1: Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the
2: Blaze Radio Network.
1: Next Generation of Talk Radio, this is Mike Slater.
0: I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. Hate won't win. My grandmother and the other victims died at the hands of hate. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and their legacies live in love. Just looking at a USA Today article. It, uh, just beautiful photographs of people coming together in Charleston. And we've been saying all day that Charleston really has set the set the standard for how a city should respond to uh to a tragedy. And I just saw this picture. Um this one got me. This is the a, a uh, uh, how do I describe this? We have a uh white man head in his hands crying. And he's at a desk, and then next to him is a uh, black cloth with some flowers on top of it, and then just beyond that is another man sitting at a chair. And I saw him,, "What's that?" That is South Carolina State Senator Vincent Sheehan sitting next to the draped desk of State Senator Pinckney. The pastor of that church was also a state senator. And I just I just, I just it just hit me because it never clicked that here's where he sits in the State Senate to, you know, make his votes and all the rest. And there's, it's draped with the flowers right there. It's a beautiful picture. Uh, a friend of mine has a friend in Charleston. And he asked her how it's going there. This was, when was the shooting? Wednesday. So this was on Thursday. He said, how's it going? What's what's up? And this is what she wrote back. I actually put it on Facebook. If you search for the Mike Slater show, you can find. uh, I put the whole text message up there. And this is what she said. She said, we were worried all day about going downtown. Riots, etc. But the killer picked innocent slash godly people in a church. So it's crazy around here. But in a good way. Black people and white people holding hands, praying together in the streets, and attending churches together. It is absolutely clear that this killer picked the wrong city to mess with. Charleston is showing the country how it's done. Charleston is showing the country how to grieve, how to mourn, how to come together. And hopefully Charleston will show the country what it's like to never separate again. And never allow such something so stupid like skin color to get in between two people again. And, and I... <laughs> Let me say this real quick. I saw a map. I saw this map a couple of weeks ago, and I never paid much attention to it. But it's a map of the world, and the colors of the map are the skin colors of people who live in those areas, or people who are from those areas, right? People with darker skin live along the border, and that's true all the way around the world, right? So, in the so, imagine the maps all flat. It's got the equator right in the middle. Da- the darker-skinned people, the darkest-skinned people, are right along the border, and then lighter-skinned people just to the north and south of that. And then another, you go like n- another latitude, north and south, just a little bit lighter. And then it gets lighter and lighter as you go to the poles. Skin pigmentation correlates with latitude. That's it. And it correlates with latitude because the darker your skin, the more protective of of UV radiation from the sun you are. That's it. That's race. That's skin color. And it's, it's actually believed that light skin pigmentation is actually a more recent phenomenon. So, I mean, I think everyone everyone listening here knows just how stupid this is. (laughs) It's so stupid. And it's stupid on both ends. It's equally stupid on both ends for the same reason. So, the people who demonize others for their skin color, stupid. And also those who celebrate skin color, also stupid. Because how about we find an identity for ourselves and an identity for other people based on something that really matters. Like who you are or they are as a person, because if your identity is your skin color, you're selling yourself short. You were born for way more than that. You were born for more than your skin color. You were born for more than where your ancestors happened to be born based on the latitude and relationship to the sun's rays (laughs) all right i mean that can't possibly define who you are so stop focusing on that and identify yourself by something so much more and same thing if you're judging someone else on their skin color you're shortchanging that person for who they really are because they're a lot more than where their ancestors were born in relation to the equator and the sun's uv rays because that's all that skin color is based on trying to think if i should say this if i should say this thing or not safe space i don't know is it worth it let me say this headline huffington post 150 years after emancipation dylan roof is a chilling reminder of how little has changed Give me a break. How little has changed in 150 years when it comes to race relations? Are you kidding me? Listen, long way to go. Long way to go. But I wish we could send whoever wrote this article on a time machine, send them back to 1865, and then bring them back to today and have them compare the two. Little has changed? Quiet yourself. Little has changed. 1865. Come on. Long way to go. But let's not shortchange that. By saying little has changed. I want to uh play a clip here of Chris Singleton. His mom, Sharonda, was killed the other day in that church. This is a remarkable young man. And he spoke to the media. With his baseball team standing behind him in support. All different colors, by the way. All different skin pigmentations. Listen to this young man right here. Clip six.
8: Nothing changes for me. You know, I'm probably just gonna push myself even harder in everything I do. Just every time I do something good, I'll probably give her a little wink or something in the sky. That's about it. In this situation, you know, I just think about her smile. She smiles 24 7. That's what I'm just thinking about, to push me on and do stuff like this, just thinking about her smile.
5: What made you want to come out here and deal with us and talk to us
8: and have this moment? I thought it would be best. I thought my mom would just, She she she's confident in me, and you know, I'm confident in myself, so I said, hey, I'll give it a shot.
5: Can you tell us about the church community? We've learned a little bit about it, but for everyone at home to
2: understand this group that your mom was part of. That's-
8: this church is such a family, you know. I've been going there since sixth grade when I moved here, but it feels like they're all older than me. They're really old, it seems like, but that's like I'm everybody's grandson. We will get through it. Our church will get through it. It's tough times, but I know for a fact everybody will, will press on. Can you tell me about your mom uh, as
5: a spectator with you when you're
8: playing ball? I hear she was a oh, she was. Mm-hmm. My mom was something else when I was playing ball. She... um. One game when I was here, she whispered, I looked at her and she was, when I was on deck, and she was like, You know, I'm saying a prayer for you, right? I was like, Mom, don't you think I already did that? She's like, Well, you can never have too much prayer. <laughs> so that's one thing she did for me that I always remember. Hmm.
0: He went on to say that love is stronger than hate. So if we just love the way my mom would, then the hate won't be anywhere close to where the love is. So Sharonda leaves behind three beautiful children. And it's frustrating because Chris Singleton here, th- there are a lot more people like him. Right? A lot more Chris Singletons. And I want more of them. Skin color means nothing. one 900 3393. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word.
2: This is Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network.
1: Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. I
0: right, have five minutes and 52 seconds. Get two stories in here. I uh, just want to throw this your way just so you can be prepared for when this comes to a city near you. Uh, here in San Diego, we have, a, we have a big homeless problem in San Diego because the weather's really nice, among other things. But um, So the idea was, let's build two public toilets downtown. All right. So, how much do you think a, a toilet should cost? A new downtown public toilet. I'm, I'm going to go with $20,000. That's a lot. I mean, you go to Home Depot, a toilet's like 150 bucks. <laughs> okay, so, toilet, sink, let's say that's $300. Uh, you got to put up a little building around it. I mean, nothing fancy. And the toilets they built, they're just like porta-potties. It's not, it's not a whole big thing. Um... So you uh, union wages, the whole rad thing, 20 grand. That's crazy, I think. But 20 grand should do it. So San Diego built two new downtown toilets. You want to know how much they cost? $280,000. Each. Now, one of them, uh, in particular has become such a uh, breeding ground for prostitution and crime and drug use and the rest. They're going to move it. So the price for these two public toilets is approaching $800,000. That does not include maintenance cost, which they estimated was going to be $50,000 a year, and now they're looking at $185,000 a year. It does not include $35,000 for water every year. I don't know if they're flushing toilets with Perrier water. I don't know, $35,000. It also doesn't include $30,000 a year for vandalism repairs, which is on top of the maintenance repairs. It also doesn't include the uh, Idea 3 being thrown around to hire a security guard for these bathrooms, which would cost another $400,000 per year. Toilets. Two. Approaching a million bucks year one. Fantastic. So if uh, your city council says, we need to put some toilets downtown, just keep an eye on that. All right. I want to end on this note here. What was your favorite childhood toy? I was home last week in Syracuse, New York, helping the mom uh, do some stuff around the house. And we emptied out the top of the garage. And there was a chest full of stuffed animals there. That's what we were looking for. We were looking for Spot. Spot was my brother's favorite stuffed animal growing up. And now he has a son, uh, eight months old, and they wanted to give him Spot. It's pretty cool, right? So we found the chest and we found a bunch of stuffed animals that that I remembered when I was a kid. We didn't find Spot, though. But we found some other fun stuffed animals. So what was your favorite childhood toy? For six-year-old Owen, it's his stuffed Hobbs. Hobbs from Calvin and Hobbs, the tiger. So Owen and his family, they were flying from Tampa Bay to Texas for the weekend. And they got to the airport, everything all right, they went through security, the thing. They got on the Southwest plane, and halfway there, they reenacted the scene from Home Alone, right? Where the mom jumps up and goes, Hobbs! Right? Like, we forgot Hobbs! Back in the airport, they left him at the airport! So they landed, and they immediately called the Tampa Bay airport, asking, Uh, You know, like it was a missing person report and where Hobbs was and the airport staff found Hobbs right there on the chair. But what would you do? What would you do now? So you work at the the Tampa Bay airport, six year old stuffed animal left behind. What would you do? You put it in the lost and found, right? Until Owen gets back. Nope. They took Hobbs on an adventure around the airport and they took a picture of Hobbs with headphones on in the control tower. And they took a picture of him driving the fire truck for the airport. And they took a picture of him loading baggage on the tarmac. And they took a picture of Hobbs trying to decide what ice cream flavor to eat at the food court. And they took a picture of Hobbs taking a ride on the baggage cart at the airport hotel. And the airport officials took all these pictures and they put them in an album. So that when Owen got back, they presented him not only with Hobbs, but with a a book of all the pictures, of all the things that Hobbs did when Owen was gone. And on the airport's Facebook page, uh, they, they wrote all the captions, like Hobbs wrote all the captions to all the pictures. And the last one, uh, when uh, the, the security officials and everyone are, are handing Owen the book and Hobbs, uh, he wrote, at last, Owen returns for me. And I can't wait to show him what I've been up to the last few days. I had so much fun at DPA, the Tampa Bay airport. I can't wait to come back. I love that. I love stories like that. I love when people do goofy but thoughtful things for no reason. (laughs) I mean, no reason other than just to lift someone else up because they could have just put him in the lost and found. But uh, let's, let's go a little above and beyond here. And while Owen may have been upset that he wasn't with Hobbs for a few days, well, now he knows that Hobbs was well taken care of. Lesson learned there for Owen. When he grows up and lesson confirmed for us, a lesson that I think we need to hear, especially with difficult news stories, that there are many, many, many more good people in this country than bad. Mike Slater Show, spread the word.
1: You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.